Hi everyone, thank you for coming. It's awesome to have such a giant crowd here. It's pretty sweet. So it's my pleasure to introduce Virgil Abloh today at the Graduate School of Design. I met Virgil many years ago. We were working side by side on a pavilion for an immersive film experience in Cannes. And it was a very challenging project. On the one hand, due to the schedule, on the other hand, due to its technical complexity. And so a couple of nights right before the actual opening, one of the many and pretty important stakeholders was losing his patience, and he sent a rather aggravated email to Virgil. He was saying something along, along the lines of, what is happening here is crazy, we're trying to pull off a multi-million dollar super complex project, it's the 11th hour, dramatic changes are being done, uh, changes are still being made, the soundtrack isn't ready, neither the video, we're changing the architecture, this is all insane. And I remember Virgil's response being, I know, teamwork is dream work. <laughs> <laughs> but that attitude, that combination of clarity of vision on the one hand and audacity on the other hand, lies at the core of his nature and is certainly the kind of infrastructure that is both uh, constantly identifiable in his work and it's also what enables him to conquer the creative worlds at such an intense speed. Virgil is never not Virgil, and that constant is what allows him to seamlessly navigate the abrupt terrain between different territories, be it fashion, music, scenography, art, architecture, industrial or graphic design performance. You will never, never see him lose his school, not before the first fashion show for his brand Off-White in Paris, not in the midst of overseeing the design for an entire world tour for one of the world's biggest musicians, not in front of crowded line, the crowded lines at the clubs where he DJs as flat white, not in front of all auditoriums across the globe. Since that night in Cannes, um, Virgil came quite a long way. He was nominated in 2015 as one of the top eight finalists for the LVMH Prize in Paris. He was inducted in the BO of 500, the people sh uh, shaping the global fashion industry list. He was also a top nominee in the category of international urban luxury brand at the British Fashion Awards and also a nominee uh, for emerging talent at the CFDA Awards. And in 2019, Virgil will be showcasing an artwork focused uh, on art, sorry, an artwork focused retrospective at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago, Illinois. But Virgil initially started his career off by studying structural engineering, yet his biggest revelation in school was that there was an architecture department. In his own words, he didn't know up until that point that architecture was a thing, something you could legitimately study or make a living with. He then proceeded to get a degree at, in architecture from, from IIT, and it seems that ever since no stone was left unturned, his work covers an immense spectrum of collaborations with people like Jenny Holzer, corporations like Nike or Ikea, musicians like Travis Scott, just to name a few. And I'm pretty sure I left quite a few out there. One could argue the drive behind Virgil's philosophy comes from that very first experience. At the heart of it lies an endless generosity, openness, and transparency. He will not, he will not veil himself with the mystique of success, but on the contrary, he's in a constant dialogue with the audience around him. He's opening up his process, always deconstructing his creative methodologies in a public arena, hoping that through that someone is being exposed to thoughts and ideas that they haven't encountered or dared to consider before. Our first direct project for Off-White was a little store, the first store ever in Hong Kong. And it started with a stroll through the Chelsea galleries. We were looking at art and talking about the vision for how a space could represent everything that Virgil stands for. The ultimate freedom to be different things all at once and none at the same time. 
The next time we saw each other again was actually at the very opening of that store. The entire process and communication, every single decision, design decision over the span of over six months was done on text message. While it might sound terrifying to some, it was one of the smoothest process I have encountered and it speaks volumes about Virgil's ease to collaborate as well as his skill to express ideas because it requires a huge control of language to be able to communicate with precision in such a limiting medium. We did in fact make a book from the process since it had been so insightful too. Virgil may not be practicing architecture in a traditional sense, but he's an architect at a different scale, one that goes beyond physical, the physicality of space, a realm that transcends any boundaries centered around the core of pure creative freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to welcome at the Graduate School of Design, Virgil Abloh. I'm gonna turn off my WhatsApp before it starts annoying you, or you can get a sense of how many messages come through on the wave. All right, that introduction was serious. Um, thanks, Awana, thanks to Harvard for allowing me to come and sort of share random things on my laptop, but that's what this is about to be. Um, first and foremost, I identify with you guys. You know, I still feel like I'm a perpetual like kid at school. And that's that's first thing that I wanted to deliver because when I was a student, all that I wish I knew now is that one person would have told me like one like ounce of advice that wasn't necessarily like the rest of your career will be like an uphill battle, but more likely that there's all these sort of shortcuts that you can take. And so that's what this literally this whole presentation's about. It's about shortcuts that I've learned through studying something super practical like engineering and architecture. But then in the outside world, there's all these sorts of uh, caveats that you can use to sort of find your career choice that's not delineated by like a single major or a single coursework that you're in. And uh, in typical fashion, I'm super interested in doing what was inspiring to me the most when I was in school is watching sort of like famous architects present projects that were like buildings built in far off lands that looked pretty cool like in photographs. But instead, of course, as Iwana mentioned, my work is sort of like by nature cross-disciplinary and it sort of lives outside the walls of architecture but is the exact same uh, line of thinking that I learned in school. So uh, that's sort of like the premise, and I'm just going to flip through uh, and to showcase different things that Instagram basically doesn't have <laughs> uh, the capability to show. So like basically every project that I'm working on that I would never Instagram, I'm just going to start sharing now, like Ikea, Nike stuff, get in trouble probably by some corporation in two seconds, but let's do it. Sweet. So, as I sort of outlined, um, you guys understand, but let's call it design work. You know, in an architectural uh, arena, we solve problems in a very structured way. That's what we're here to do. You know, that's that's what this training is about. And basically, the, what I want to sort of like 
put forth is that that logic works in an analogous way in basically every other aspect of culture. You know, we focus on living, we focus on design, providing good design as a humanity, as a humanitarian effort. But essentially, you know, understanding that this way of thinking can apply to everything. So this is the first time I'm debuting a new wave. <laughs> it's called these red slides. These red slides are cheat codes. Basically, if you can answer them, you, uh, you basically give yourself a cheat code. And that's like the sort of 2.0 of these talks that I'm using. And it's things that I've had to learn. I basically work at a feverish pace in a self-serving way just to find my signature. Like, what's my DNA? Every architect, designer, artist that I look up to, you know, whether they were doing period paintings or buildings in their early career to the end of their career, there's basically a through line. So what I would challenge you in your work, no matter what, is go back. You know, go back to when you were like, that your earliest memories or the way that you thought to organize something, the way you thought to organize your closet or what colors were your favorite back in that sort of like early rationale before you sort of learned too much, that's when your DNA started. And for me, that sort of leads me to my next slide, which I'm super proud of because it's the first time I've ever thought about what I'm doing and sort of made myself make a list. This is straight from the iPhone notes into my sort of standard template. But I'll just run through it really fast. And then the projects that I show afterwards see if you can sort of see these signifiers. But this is by like challenging myself to do a million projects at a time. I'm super obsessed with Duchamp. Super obsessed with ready-made. You know, that this idea that an artist like overthought the game, you know, understood the parameters, provided something provocative, provided something that became a launch pad for other forms of art. And as you'll see in a slide later, it's, it's important to recognize where we're at in the lineage of art movements. You know, especially now, uh, I'm sure even in your class, you're trying to like challenge yourself to invent something new, try to be so like avant-garde that has zero place. Basically, that's impossible. You know, these are things that I figured out through working, is that we exist off the backs of many other things and iterations before us. So once you think about us as a collective, you then realize that we're all tracking towards the same direction. And that's where I think humanity underlies this word down here. I'm sure it says design somewhere. So uh, number two for me is obviously this thing that's probably getting a little bit tired, but get used to it because I'm going to keep using it. It's talking in quotes. It's basically humor. I, I, like a couple of people laughed, and that, that's literally the point of that tool, is to sort of insert humanity through conversation. You open up when you laugh. And obviously, in our era where like vintage is more cool than like, uh, so like a popular, trendy item, it's, it's just us being ironic, you know? Normcore, K-hole, that whole like rationale—it's real. That's uh, you know American Apparel. That whole thing is is just the halo that we're in. So my way of doing that and trying to be the most like the most Duchamp version of ironic is speaking in quotes because it allows me to say two things at the same time, or be figurative and sort of precise. And I can basically design with a keyboard. I don't need Photoshop or anything else. 
So uh, there's that. Then I have my sort of like 3% approach. Right now, I'm only interested in editing something 3% from its original form. I'm basically tired. <laughs> I might be too old, but I found that I'm like, things are intriguing to me when they're like slightly edited, like these shoes. It's like skipping ahead really far into the presentation, but there's more Nikes in this box that I'm going to throw around. But, you know, like this is an Air Force One. <laughs> yeah, the Jordan way. <laughs> but, like, essentially I got asked to do another Air Force One. This is like a new, new one. But I was only interested in restraining myself and only editing it 3%, because I don't want another shoe. I, I want to see something that makes me recognize the shoe that I already have, but it's a personal thing. Uh, moving down, basically, you know, off-white, it's, a, it's a basically a shorthand, like, uh, pseudonym to remind me that I'm always just comparing two things, whether they're super dissimilar or they are, are actually like, you know, the same. It's just my shorthand to say, you know, between like luxury and streetwear, that's how I can decide if a dress is done or not, or if this t-shirt graphic is finished. It's, it's an internal like measuring stick. And then number five is I love work in progress. It's another humanity thing. Once I realized that it's okay to not be a perfectionist, all of a sudden I can do a million things at once and like go to sleep at night. And I think it's important. I, I, I like look at other friends' work who are like super precise and perfectionist. And I realize I'm, if I'm just trying to be a perfectionist that I'm not even thinking anymore. The sort of design process is just going on to find some sort of like space that ultimately actually looks like something else I've seen. And I think it's important to remember that your hand and your brain will tell you when something's finished. And then post-rationalize, make, <laughs> make up something afterwards or whatever. Um, number six, which is important to me, it's like, this goes back to like, do we need another shoe? Do we need another whatever? It's basically uh, an output for me has to have a reason to exist. You know, I think that's why we have like trash bins and recycling bins. It's like it's in our brain that like over consuming is obviously not okay. But I think to us in the sort of design community, you know, we're the thinkers. We're the ones who are going to challenge all these sort of like generational decisions. But first, every output, does it, does it need to exist? It's okay to say no in that context. And then number six is like, uh, I mean number seven is, is one of the things that uh, is a driving principle to me is like that the tourist and the purist like meet somewhere. And that's basically what I love about coming to college towns is because I remember being here. It's like think about how much knowledge is in here, then think about how much knowledge is in Boston. It only, you know, like you could almost, there's a metric, it lives in like these blocks, but there's real people in the world that benefit. And if we're not, at the end of the day, in, interchanging with that, then ultimately it's self-serving, as, as fun as design is. So that's, you know, super important in my work. Ikea. So surreal. Basically, when they hit me up the first time, I swore they wanted me to DJ an event. 
I was like, I used to like, I had my uh, my team try to find like the emails. Like, I wanted to do an IKEA project. This is like before like Hype Beast was like posting IKEA hats and all that. I was like, can you imagine? Not even in an ironic way. It's like, I'm you guys. Like, so I was like the architecture kid that was like making chairs because like class was so boring that I needed to like do something else. And I was like, oh, what if I could bring this sort of mentality that I was doing towards t-shirts to Ikea? And so this is my squad, all kids that I hired off Instagram that just came up to me and were like, hey, I know how to use 3D, whatever. I was like, cool, you're down. <laughs> Like, this is us last week, so this is not even, like, old footage. This is, uh, uh, yeah. And uh, this is, it's funny, this is Ikea Hotels, crazy place. So I'm just going to go fast because i got too many slides. But basically, the first project was designing, uh, like, a living environment for a millennial, which is super cool. Like, Ikea, you know, serves 2 billion people. Like, I'm still stuck on that metric. It's like, is what to what Oana was saying, is like architecture I used to think was just like building buildings, but me navigating my way into this institution basically that provides furniture to like real people, you know, like these are tourists. And to me, if I can bring an ounce of a new idea or an ounce of like an idea that I had when I was a student, that's already a win because it feels a little bit different. So as you can tell, that rug was uh, racking my brain. It, it, of course, it like looks super simple, but for me, it, it's pulling those like vocab words out of my own language and applying it. I love the idea of thinking about like the living room that like you're not supposed to stand or use like certain furniture you know, like just it looks expensive. So, you know, that's that. So, like off-white balance. Uh, in a moment, here, this is a secret rug that you can't see on the bottom. Move past that. Here's, you know, I challenge myself too. It's like, who actually has the luxury to have a rug <laughs> that big? But it's it's amazing. You know, IKEA represents democratic design, which is a whole philosophy which actually betters the earth and betters our consumption and they make the best products that they can make and to me what's key is that they're affordable uh, obviously off-white is its own thing it's by design and own project but it's important to me that things are attainable you know these, that's why this lecture is free <laughs> but it's about the ideas like you know it's about the ethos and that's why I'm excited to always share that but you know like this I don't know how much it's going to cost but definitely probably like under 50 bucks maybe and it's a lot of ideas in there I'm definitely going to get an email about quoting a price that I don't know <laughs> but it's Ikea you know <laughs> But what's cool to me is it, it's a piece of art, you know, like uh, one thing about me is that in like 50 years, it'll be my goal is that, and it's kind of apparent that I basically just use other factories as my suppliers to make art. And, uh, you know, that's, but I use the best and the ones that have a, an ethos, not the ones that are sort of behind the scenes. So, um... Yeah, this I'm super proud of because it's an idea that's been realized and is coming out, uh, I think, soon. And then again, it's like, uh, 
you know, a millennial's apartment basically is like, you know, 30 pieces that I have to design, which is scary. It's take, it's probably the longest design project that I've ever sort of taken on myself. And a large part of that is because it's so permanent. You know, it's like a t-shirt is only going to get like five wares or something like that. And then you're on to the next, you know, it's fashion. That's the whole premise that it, it moves along faster. And there's a romanticism about that, which I love it, which is sort of my main occupation. But once you step outside of that square footage of your closet, think about how much you spend per square inch in your space. Like your closet is like astronomical between the shoes, the hood, how many hoodies can you fit? You know, how many, you know, that idea. But then what about the rest of your place? And when do you actually make the conscious decision to buy a coffee table? Do you buy it out of necessity or do you actually have an affinity for it? So me working with Ikea, it was like, it was a super dream project because I could put the attention that I was putting in people's closet into objects that you live with arguably in periods of 10 years. You know, how often would you own a bed in your lifetime? And so that's what I'm challenging myself to make. And I'm trying to like, is that something new that I made up that sounds really dumb, but like, what if, uh, what if streetwear was like an architecture movement? Like a movement within art, and that thing keeps on popping up because I feel like, obviously, we're in this like postmodernism sort of state. But to me, what streetwear in quotes means, uh, it's just like using whatever means to make something that is impactful, make something super niche and that you're emotionally tied to. So, you know, as this IKEA project kept developing, there's one like secret element that I can't tell. I came up with this really good idea but my lawyer freaked out, so I can't even show it, let alone talk about it. Uh, but through that, no, which is important. Every time you hear the first no, that's like a good sign, because that first no will always drive a really good second idea. And then keep that one for yourself. So what I did is I came up with this sort of uh, figurative way of thinking about objects. I was like, what's the best invention in mankind or whatever. And then, you know, just not even really Googling, just like using your own head. It's like you're in uh, Wikipedia. Was, of course, like the wheel, right? Or fire, skip that, like the wheel. And then, you know, t everyone's got all these like random Tumblr images on their laptop or just like Googling. And I was like, the, of course, like the wheel is like an awesome invention, but whoever invented the doorstop was genius. <laughs> like this idea that, and like looking at this image, that these two like wheel chocks could stop a plane from taking off that could go around the world, but except for these annoying like yellow blocks can stop a Boeing 747 from going from here to Tokyo. And that's <laughs> like, post-rationalizing. I think that's indicative of my first idea that I really loved that I couldn't, that I can't make in that sort of realm. So inspired by this image is going to be uh, the basically the IKEA project is rooted in here. Um, and it's that interruption. So uh, these are early sketches. These are sketches only like a week old. This is after going to IKEA trying to problem solve, but I'm trying to think of an aesthetic, and it's pretty similar in all my work. It's like when I started, I always think about one detail, and then I think about repetition to own it, because that's one idea. It's not a 
about coming up with 60 ideas for one execution. So it's funny, IKEA itself hasn't seen these. <laughs> the, the idea to me, this is something I learned too, you know, you have to learn by making. So when I was there, they showed me, you know, some of like the oldest techniques in wood were like how a broom handle goes into a broom head and how it's like threaded and that's that sort of closure. So basically I want to take that sort of very old classic wood closure and then this door stop screws onto the bottom and makes the whole thing level. So it doesn't actually use the door stop as it's like physics sort of mechanism. And that to me is streetwear, but it's like deeper into it. And then this chair is supposed to be the most generic chair of your life. It's basically if you were a kindergartner, what do you think a chair is? Because as we go back, I'm like, do we need another chair? You know, why are we designing chairs? So for me, it's a, it's a, you can kind of get a window into how I'm thinking of things like the bed will be like, have this like iconic sort of feature. Again, super affordable. The mirror is going to be broken, basically. You know, there's like a, because the ethos for me is like embed art. Art is sort of like free. You know, it's something recognizable. It's non-anonymous. And it sort of makes it intriguing and something worth coveting. I was super inspired by a trip that I took this summer to a friend's home who has like museum quality art. Like, you know, open the doors, Jeff Koons, like crazy thing that you would see like in an investment bank lobby you know, cool sterling ruby, and I was like, I want to make something at Ikea that's equally as coveted by, you know, a multi-million dollar home as it is by, you know, a college student. And to me, it's like embedding art into something that is uh, universal. So there's going to be a broken mirror. I'm interested in, like, the number one thing, I've been doing these surveys, too, where I go and, like, visit kids' homes and, like, ask them 20 questions, take photos of their place. And basically, the number one constraint with a home is storage. Like, skip everything else. You don't really need another rug, chair, whatever. It's that the stuff that you already have is like, you don't know what to do with it. And my idea is making visible storage, so at least you can recognize what you own. That's why you have it. Um, a bag, of course, I'm doing the bag. Uh, but yeah, like, this is sort of, sort of equation. You know, like solving very practical things with adding some value. You know, like a regular, imagine that the regular chair and then this weird chair with the red doorstop. To me, that's cool to look at. It becomes something on top of its function. So there's a little Ikea vibe going on. You know, this slide here, another one. This is like photo that. <laughs> Not really, it's not that important, but the, it's impactful to me because the whole like Instagram, you know, everyone's creative. Peter Saville, my mentor, the guy that did all those like Joy Division album covers, told me, he's like super mentor of mine and was like, he's like, you know why your generation has this like feeling of angst, like why you're sort of like, super norm, a little bit over it, but you're excited to be in it. He was like, in my time, which he, you know, just predates me by like 20, 30 years, was like, when we were in London, like, he, you know, communication, graphic design 
meets a band called Joy Division. They didn't even have anyone to do an album cover. And they're just like, hey, we know how to use these like things at school. Like, and it was basically just that waveform was just a reference that he had and just like gave it to them, like photocopied it and was like, here. And it's like a super important album packaging of, of their time and our time. He was basically like, back then there was like three of us, like on the same street. It was like, no one was interested in that. And like, look at all of us, like we can fill a room of, we're on the same path. So it's like, that's where that feeling of like oversaturation is, but it shouldn't be discouraging. You know, it's like we have a bigger community is the way that I see it. But just having a knowledge of what these different periods in art are can help you give understanding to what you're doing and why you arrive at these ideas. That they come, like the whole, the world evolved in this sort of way. That sort of like gave me a bit of context. So I was not like sort of fighting to be so different it's just sort of owning my own voice in this like sea of differentness and everyone sort of like trying to make a mark. Um, so yeah, the Renaissance, that's how I kicked off this wave. E you know, and I always bring this up in talks because no one, you can never predict like what first project is gonna like lead to your, your like dream job or career goals and this was my domino effect. I was just really into Caravaggio, like to the point where it, me as a creative person didn't realize you could invent. And that's what you know, this painting represents to me. It's, honestly, I just put this up here to have it up at Harvard and someday. <laughs> just trying to make this long-winded vibe. But this was like my domino effect. Like I hadn't ever, overthought it, do you know what I mean? I just made this video, screen printed some shirts and gave them to friends and then that's literally why I'm standing here, a random sweatshirt and a photo from a book that I liked and basically it's a two line poem on the back that sort of reads like a jersey and it, it was like it's super uh, seminal for me and I think it's important if you, amongst all your studies, amongst like your nine to five, all these kids like tuning in on live stream or whatever, like if you just force yourself to do the one project that you believe in and then it exists, that's gonna be the one that's gonna like lead you on your career, not necessarily the practical ones. So that's just a showcase of what, you know, I believe that everyone should do. And then so going back to that, you also have to have mentors, like dead or alive you have to sort of connect with some body of work or someone who formulated a thought and an aesthetic and then build yours upon that. What most people won't tell you is that the people that you look up to didn't invent it themselves. You know, everyone has this sort of like, uh, I call it like getting your brain <laughs> reprogrammed. Like once you sort of learn a thought process, you can actually see yourself in that and add to it. So for that, it's Corbusier for sure. And this kind of dials into that IKEA project when we're sort of trying to solve these like uh, this issue of like dwelling and like what, how do we live in spaces versus how the the generation of thinkers before us thought. And Corbusier, you know, obviously thought like a house is a machine, a machine to live in. So in that context, like the living room is only for like living, the kitchen's only for eating, the dressing, your bedroom, it's like 
improper to change in your living room. You know, that's not, that, that's, that's not proper human behavior. And so obviously, I have a mentor, I have a sort of thought process, an aesthetic that I love, but then once you learn the, the ethos of why, the aesthetic, why you love the aesthetic, you dig deeper, and then you know how to turn the wheel left or right. So it's important, you know, that's why I often reference things. I'm not ashamed at sort of recognizing these great moments before us, but take anything and add it to the year 2017, it should be different. It should feel like we can collectively agree on it, and that's what I, that's what I focus on in a number of projects. So, um, kind of moving on a wave, this is also like two weeks ago. Uh, in Milan, uh, as the Prada Foundation was getting finished, uh, happened to be there meeting with Rem on a project that we're working on. Uh, and it was cool. It's like he's discovering this new building the same time we're, I'm, me and my friend are there. So it was like a midway break through our conversation. But I strictly love images like this, and I'll show them for forever <laughs> just because the generation of thinkers and designers in us are on earth at the same time. I think it's hypercritical that these loops get made all the time. Students and the people who basically wrote our textbooks. And I'll keep striving to do this and just have conversations. So we spoke and we got pretty, we're getting in depth on obviously this idea what he's working on, obviously, with the countryside and that if half the world's population is living in cities, then what's happening in the countryside and how I'm articulating that is what I see in our sort of di dynamic. You know, I was just in Soho like an hour and a half ago. And it's like there's so many stores are closed. You know, it's like Palace and there's like Mercer. The end of Mercer is like popping, but all these like vacant reasons, like literally half, half of downtown New York is just empty. And it's like, we have Amazon, we're not even shopping as much. Like, and me, I'm in fashion, so how I'm adopting to this whole idea of countryside, like how is that gonna change the sort of like hip relationship between cities and the countryside? Are, we gonna, are kids now gonna like live in Montauk and then go into the cities on the weekend? for entertainment, like all you need a first floor retail for is basically eating. You know, you don't need to shop. People aren't even shopping in that pace. So I, the only reason why I bring out this sort of like divergent tangent is because this inspires like how you can design a t-shirt. It, it helps me think of like, do we need, again, do we need more chairs? So I would urge you guys always to think like abstract and big. You know, countryside to city is, it's macro, but it's giving me perspective on how to tackle like other projects. Another like super important for me is like Donald Judd in terms of form. Uh, like me personally, I'm trying to find, even though I know my aesthetic, but I'm interested in like the overall form that things are taking. And you know, just another like I'm just putting these things out there for people who don't know to Google these names and read up on things besides Hypebeast, essentially. <laughs> but, you know, this is a great quote, and it synergizes with Henrik, who's like a design leader on my IKEA team. He's a, another mentor of mine, and he made a good point that struck me. He said, we're at an age where 
design is just assumed. He's like, you don't notice that a door handle doesn't work until it's broke. He's like, but you forgot that it had been designed. So, you know, we're in, the, we're in a world where we just expect design. And obviously this room has a higher sort of pension for what design is, but it's everywhere. And how can we as a collective make people, make the outside, you know, tourists versus purists, make the outside world understand that design is something to be cherished. That's, to me, closer to quality of life than anything else. So, you know, I think it's just important to be mindful of these things as you're doing your student projects, or you're working on your, like, extracurricular, what your real passion project is, is drawing these links. All these things are just here as, like, mood board for tools for you guys to make your own list, like I had at the beginning. And then also, like, you know, this is a point of crossing boundaries. Just because you're a furniture designer doesn't mean you can't be an artist or culinary chef, etc. And just studying his form, the way he was using different materials and approaches to execute um, like profound ideas, and it was all rooted in his system. Bingo. Okay, Nike shoes, which is cool. In the project that I've done so far, I haven't able, been able to like nerd out on like the actual sort of process for that shoe or the, how these things came about. Um, it started for me, like, my own personal thing is I'm not a sneakerhead. Like, I'm not, I just wear the same shoes for a really long time, and then I just go on to another. But I, I understand the sort of passion for them. And obviously, I'm from Chicago, so Michael Jordan was our basketball player, you know? So, for me, the sort of resurgence of this, like, 85 vintage is where it started from, from. and of course, like, being entrusted with Nike to sort of reapproach 10 different icons. I took that like as like another major design project, not like a sort of let's just color them up and put them back out into the market. Let's almost think about it like a student would, like how I would make a model of it. And I sort of challenged them to it was like an ethos that I had. I thought Nike products, the only thing that I could add to the situation is that I felt that their products came out of a microwave because they were so good. You know, it's sort of naive, but they're like so perfectly put together. So this is the first illustrator that I did myself where I was like, you know, I want to get the feeling of this, but something brand new. You know, and how does one go about that? And if you remember my like seven principles about work in progress or, you know, illustrated, and it was like, I took it with great responsibility that they asked me to approach their icons. And when you think of Nike, you, you quickly can say air, which is what the, the, you know, a large part the whole ethos is based upon. And I did like the naive question, curiosity thing as I grabbed one and I was like, in this Air Jordan, is there an air pocket? Because it didn't say, you know, I couldn't see it. And this is, predates their technology to sort of open the window. So I just took an X-Acto knife and jammed it in the bottom, realizing that there was air. And I was like, I'm going to write air in my language so that it reinforces the sort of ethos. And then, obviously, this in process is how we ended up with like a, like a half-made shoe. As Awana mentioned, like, 
the iPhone is my tool. It's the only thing that I can, I can have a conversation with you and work at the same time. So of course I do that too much. But yeah, WhatsApp is my favorite program of choice. And like, you know, this air, like the placement is all happening on my phone. Um, so early prototype here before we were like getting the, the whole thing together. These are cool. Uh, anyone from Converse here? A couple of kids? Oh, yeah. Sucks that you guys can't really properly see these. Do you, you, anyone know who Jim Joe is? He's the artist kid that did Drake's. He's like way important. He did many more things just besides that. But here's like a special edition he did. It's got a swoosh on it. This was the original design intention. Um, it basically caused like a huge headache <laughs> when I tried to pull this one off. My dream was that I love like, like if you could make impossible product, like product that doesn't seem like it would make it through like a legal department. That's like a ongoing thing. But since it was on, like what I thought the most important thing is it's Nike Inc going across brands that they own, which is huge. So it's Air Jordan, that's a different company. Nike itself and Chuck Taylor, a company that they own, they're giving me 10 of them. So out of all 10, my dream was that you would do something that could only live within the 10 of those products. So the, if anyone wondered, that's why there's like this woven label that's here. It was another one of my get out of legal sort of issues, I had them cut it as if it was the same as on this one. There's another Jim Joe Air Force One, one of one art piece. Uh, is my friend basically who inspires me. So I have mentors that are like dead. <laughs> I have mentors that are 30 years older than me, but I have mentors that are like 10 years younger than me. And he's the friend of mine that sort of gave me the sort of nudge to just like write on things and sort of like don't be precious. And I think this embodies that to it. He like grabbed it and then just gave this back to me. And I was like, this is from Dover Street. He just took it off the shelf and like drew it and then put it back. And I was like, this is why I make stuff. You know, it's to sort of spark an idea. Like, I'll pass these around so you can guys like steal them and I'll find you for sure. <laughs> Kid with the og hat. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important not to be precious. That's what this whole thing is. Like Nike, another dream project for me. And I was like, I have to hit this out of the park. And all the architecture kids can sort of catch a vibe. A lot of this is like model making. That's where the, this is at the same time that I came up with that whole putting sculpture on a bag. Where that was like just me finding sort of new space. And that's when I was like, you know, a shoe isn't a shoe to me. Like I'm not approaching it as a shoe. And I think maybe that's why I found a little bit of like open space is that I was just looking at it like an object. You can choose to wear it on your shoe. And that's kind of where sneaker culture had gone. Like these just sit above like kids' beds or they sit somewhere, you know, and I th they think they sit in boxes still. And I wanted to like feel like they were already used when you got them. They're still precious, but they seem like objects. So, 
Uh, this, is, this is where the presto came from. Kid named Matt Kilgore is like a genius. Nate Job and Rico is like a squad of kids, like in a shop just like you guys probably have here. This, this, is, where, this is why the soul turned out this color. It's because this is just a 3D printed uh, soul. And this is actually an Air Max 90 that's turned inside out that got jammed back into it. And I was like, stop. No one do anything else. It's done <laughs> to Nike, who's like, can make a spaceship, basically. <laughs> so that, the shoe, literally, that shoe exists because we were just like cutting around and making this. So I'm proud of that vibe. Um, oh, yeah. That's that little like uh, cut. It's supposed to be Nike, but that's as far as I could get them to do. This is a shoe, this is the very first shoe that I made there, because I was like, I didn't come all this way for my first Nike meeting and not end up with anything to take home. And I was like, where's the printer? You know, like, hey, can you, and I was like, that's what I do, is like, hey, can you do this? Can you glue this here? And so these are one of my favorite shoes. Just details, but the process, I think, if, you know, you guys can see this and get inspiration off of it, but, you know, I know Iwana's a fan of model making. Did you ever pull that trick off of getting a studio that only does model making? Working on it. She's working on it. I'm going to take that class. Um, yeah, the versions of this shoe before it came out. I don't know if I can show that. Um, yeah, that's the shoe I showed you before. The blazer did that on WhatsApp. The idea that the swoosh was just like lower. You know those mistakes in Photoshop when you like put something over and you're like, oh, that looks cool? <laughs> it's now on your feet. Yeah, this is this, the first version. Um, it, it just like sort of one bullet point that's sort of the process of how I work and the reason why it's a little bit like all over the place. I always thought if you worked linearly, then you have no room. You know, do opposites. It just feels better. But then that space in between gives you sort of a new experience that you can apply and problem solve. That's why I think I work on so many things at one time. I couldn't just do one project, like day in, day out. I think it's actually not healthy. A women's show. This platform is super cool because you know, when I do a fashion show, it's probably like the most amount of, it, it's one of the projects that I do, it takes like four months of thinking and people only see it for seven minutes and they get no, no one ever has a conversation around it. It's usually like two interviews that I do and then it's off. But the, my last women's show in Paris was based around Princess Diana and it was a tribute show just because I felt that she sort of predates our now. To me, she's you know one of the most photographed women on the planet Earth, and it's sort of like in our periphery. But you know, she's like a muse for modern dressing. The fact that she could go literally from something so formal to something so casual had her own sense of style. There was no Instagram. There's no paparazzi. There's no outfits. There's no stylist to sort of like go do like the daily errands. So I wanted to highlight that. It's like I have this brand off-white only to tell stories. Like I don't have it to do traditional fashion because I don't know that. You know, I started from that Pyrex, like a hoodie with a Caravaggio image, but 
it, like I would think and I promote, it's like I was never going to be limited by hoodies and t-shirts, no matter how much it made sense. You can imagine how much advice that I had gotten. It's like, hey, just do that. And it's like, no, I want to draw a line between that and the opposite. And that's with the zigzag. So now I'm free to sort of like articulate stories. And this, um, this too, drop that in there for you guys. <laughs> but look at this whole outfit. Look at the image, you know, shot on film. The, the fact is like universal, you know, that's what I love. You can tell I love brands because it already gives you a starting point to sort of tell another story or, or divert from that. So these are the type of images that I was looking at, the Red Cross, even, you know, that. So like a little known fact that I did is I did these pieces and I collaborated with the Red Cross and I tried to collaborate with Harvard. Didn't work. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like donating back to charities that she was f giving her time to so that her message could live on. You know, like there's no, that's an architecture thing. That's like literally an architect getting a program and deciding where t and how big the room should be. Put me in fashion and I'm like, wait, I want to continue this one person's story because it's super like, and the idea of, hey, using graphic t-shirts that's a, you know, Red Cross, off-white, like they exist now and the proceeds are going back. So that's something like super fulfilling to me that doesn't necessarily fit in any sort of like post anywhere. And then obviously, you know, like what she meant, she was like Princess Diana, like a living Cinderella. So my show ended up looking like this, you know, from that Pyrex hoodie champion that, that wasn't my brand, all the way articulating to this image, which to me is just a five-year-old, five-year graduation of that same exact domino effect project. All the handbags, this I did get legally cleared, was I took sort of like news tabloids or sort of all those sorts of things, and it's like, this is a version of a graphic t-shirt to me. It's but the handbag with the logo that is a purse. And the, the thought process was, like one of the most advanced personal uh, concepts for fashion to me is like, put this in 2017 if she was here with us, or the idea of people who live with paparazzi images of themselves, what's the one thing that like a, a paparazzi mag might not do is promote an, a competing organization, which was the whole ethos behind these handbags was like, you know, this is streetwear, my sort of art movement that, I, that I'm trying to claim as something advanced. But the idea to me that they make you laugh, it's got that tinge of irony in it. It's got that feeling like it's juxtaposing something else. And it's not limiting me to the sort of streetwear 1.0, but that I can tell this narrative in a far off different space. So these are just images from the show. This is derived from a tiara. Obviously, no one's going to wear one of those in a modern context. So I was like, let's put it on the feet. You know, let's, let's reimagine what high heels are. I did these all with Jimmy Choo. Um, got in a little bit of trouble for doing this. this is, these are, I could only use Jimmy Choo shoes in the show. And I had all these Nike shoes. And I was like, can I just do two of them? Because this was based on like when you're commuting and you, you're like on the train and obviously women having to wear heels on the way to work, you hold the heels 
in your hand and then wear sneakers. But, you know, the ethos is obviously, like, I'll write on anything. This is a show, super proud of it, because it, it sort of puts the needle where I want the women's wear for the collection to live. You know, while the men's wear or any other ideas that I've had since I've started can still live, but that's the, the, the ethos of off-white. Like, both are off-white, not one or the other. Um, yeah. Last show. These, you can't really see them, but those heels, those like based on that sort of like glass slipper vibe, they all had plastic. Yeah, that's it. That like, you know, they become objects again. And that's, you know, I, I show these images because like you guys might be in your studios thinking that like, and it's not bad, like I still practice architecture, not at the same pace or sort of point, but your ideas are analogies, you know? So like your thought process could apply to something else that you might not even be thinking of, but hopefully you see something like this and it's like, oh, it's okay to sort of veer off and like to send a random email to a heel company or a random one to an eyeglass, Warby Parker or whatever, before you know it, you'll be realizing ideas in different spaces and that can inform what you're all all about. Uh, yeah, streetwear. So yeah, again, you know, one of the later epiphanies that I've been having is that even in conversations, like an analogy is something that works for us in a design sense. You can use these same tools in different mediums and, and arrive at different results. So. Keep that in mind. Yeah. Of course, rap music. Oh, shit. okay. So, in that same vein of analogies, of course, I can't limit myself to just like uh, Ikea or Nike. But really, the idea between behind this video, Lil Uzi asked me to direct his music video, and it might be different for you guys, but my immediate reaction to anyone asking me anything is yes. And then I'll think about it, and usually I won't say no, but I, nine times out of ten, I should probably be like, oh, I'm busy or whatever. But I just say yes, and he had asked me to direct this video, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I hadn't even had the idea, like the full idea yet, but I know what my seven principles are of like this in-process thing. It's my signature. It's the way that like I realize uh, concepts. So we shot this. This is the second video I've ever shot. The first one was Fashion Killer with ASAP Rocky and Rihanna. It was like a long time ago. Proud of that too. All, all videos that I've shot take place in the Mercer Hotel, which is just random, but it's a fact. Um, but this is like the director's edit that I made, which is like the purest form of the idea basically before the record label adds like a bunch of jazz. But it's, it's to showcase that, hey, if, so if I'm asked if there's an opportunity to exist, it's not about building a building, sending a graphic for this, or oh, I only do that. It's like keep that door open, and then you can make new works of art in different spaces. So my way of like capturing the sort of like in process moments that I put myself in the process. 
so there's like two points of view of this same sort of narrative. The reason why I showed the Princess Diana sort of project in this one is that I'm touching on the sort of like same social commentary part. It's like works of art that are distinctly made now influence with our pension to like something or like see photos and press something that, you know, Princess Diana, that's like literally the world that she lived in by being the most photographed or the sort of like energy that happens outside Prince and Mercer when there's like famous people on the street and then they just go through this like mythical door and then no one sort of breaks that barrier. So this video was about that. Like you can't, uh, I'm not going to promote that, <laughs> but, but basically like when those lines get crossed and like that's what this was. It was like me just traveling from the street through to you know, like making it all the way up to like this hotel room, but telling that like modern narrative story that people want to sort of know more and be, get all the way up close to that information or synergy, just hang out with their favorite rap star or whatever. That, that line, what does it look like once that sort of barrier has been broken? So, you know, like this sort of like video takes place, you know, this like figurative, all my friends are not alive <laughs> wave. Um, yeah, but films, you know, like moving imagery is such a good thing on the mood board. Not all mood boards should be like Tumblr images. Um, yeah, that was the end. Got fined 3K for the blood. <laughs> um, again, so, you know, like this is mine. I urge... Yeah, I always wanted to say this. Everyone's homework is <laughs> before next class is to make their own design language. Literally, I'm very upset that it took me, I'm 37, so it took me this long to, well, I, I think it takes a lot of work and a lot of projects to define that. You know, yours might only be like two or three at this point, or it could be 13, but it's like if you, it's like why work, you know? Like what are you working towards? You don't have, you know. You're either in or you're out. Like you could just just be chill. But obviously, I take a huge sort of passion about the creative work I do. It's not even work. It's just living for me. But so the things that make it more tangible is that they make sense and that there's a lineage. At least that I'm focusing on like a project. Irreverent to whatever medium it is. So, in closing, basically put yourself in my shoes. It's super weird to have this light on me. I'm not that special. You guys, you know, like, you have all the resources. And this is like a message because obviously, like, I'll be hanging out on the corner talking to kids that are aspirational about doing something design work. And obviously when they see me here, they're like, what, like you're at Harvard, how come you don't come to like wherever? And the whole point, it's like it's in my sort of presentation. It's not about one or the other, it's that we're all in this one big conversation. So the whole point of this whole sort of presentation of just stuff that normally doesn't get shown is I'd rather share it to the world so that somebody takes it and spins it off into something that is impactful for them. So with that, I need that Converse Chuck Taylor back. <laughs> Where is it?
<laughs> but nah, yeah, that was basically it. But I'm really the, like this one is you, you know, the idea that you know. I don't know what your internal metric is for what your goals are. They should all be very different, but you guys are born at a very awesome, distinct time. Like, I think that this is the renaissance. Don't get sort of trapped into like this, everything sucks, the world is like coming to an end. That's just like an internal mechanism basically to chill. When you don't have to put yourself out there, you can like wake up every day and come up with excuses, but it's exactly the opposite. And I think you guys have an awesome education background. You guys are, you, you're intrigued enough to come hear this rambling of a bunch of random projects, but I know you guys, uh, if you're interested in this, you guys are interested in tackling something that isn't, on, that isn't seen yet. So with that, I'm done. about 10 minutes for questions if you guys have any there's two people with mics running around. <laughs> um hi yeah hey Berger. Uh, thanks for the amazing lecture and the product that you show uh well I don't mind if you throw me a sneaker if I ask a bad questions. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I actually watched the, the video, um, the it called Crash Course that you did with Nike. Yeah. And I was the kid that you talked about that I'm, well, I was in, in the back of the live stream. Oh. Um, well, okay, <laughs> let's go to the questions. So, I'm well. I might not be the at the edge that you you were the big fan of Michael Jordan, but yeah, I guess. Well, I was at the edge that Aaron Iverson and Kobe Bryant that was like quite on the hill. Stars, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so my question is too related to what Aaron Iverson was asking. Like, is, uh, let's. I'm talking about practice. Oh, so <laughs> that he doesn't need to practice. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean. So I, I'm curious, like, what's like a routine practice that in your in your daily schedule that yeah. if you can talk deeper about it. That's a good it. question, because I don't know about like analogies of like you know your brain as a muscle have to like work it out or whatever some something weird, but something that was super impactful to me as a Pyrex vision was used to be this tumbler that I had that I would photograph. I just trained my eye to be creative, limited to one thing. That's what I'm doing now with the quotes. But it's like I force, do some random activity that forces your eye to sort of see things that it normally wouldn't. That's for sure how I'm able to sort of like, and I call when I idea, I'm just iterating through like 13 things at one time until I can quickly get to an answer. You can't do that if you're sort of casually being creative. You know, it's like if you have to like sit and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to solve this problem. You have to sort of like intertwine it with how you see the world. Like I've, my friend Piot, he's like an art director for Off-White, showed me his friend 
he's got this Instagram that he photographs like this one designer brand anytime he sees it. So the whole Instagram, so it, what it's done is it's trained his brain while he's like casually doing something else. If he sees like, oh, a black Chanel bag, like just shoots it. And then all of a sudden it's, this, it's like this running sort of creative side. And I think if you want to find like new space, if you want to sort of like get to another crescendo of design and having your brain figure out how to aesthetically put together something, you have to do it often. You have, and that's what I found myself. Yeah, good, I guess. <laughs> um, what's up, Virgil? My name is Peter from Mathematic Athletics. Um, you, you mentioned uh, having mentors, uh, especially dead ones. I'm trying to figure out um, what's the best way and not like no sorcery stuff. Like, are you communicating? Like, what type of questions are you asking like, that you're asking? Um, you know, mentors in a past that are no longer here. For for me, I'm, the number one before getting into like the nuance is why. Every like I can think is like why do we love rock and roll graphics or something? Like why do we love hoodies? You know why do we love designer something and or, or that sort of gets the first nuance as to like the ethos. Like every mentor I have, or like someone that's passed, I look into their work, it seems like they had a, they have like a narrow view and all the work that you love fits into this view. And I think it's about having a dialogue with why you're making these decisions. There's certain sort of creative things that you decide before you even get to, the, get to solving it. And that's why it's important to have somebody that you look up to and constantly conversate. And the most important thing is having someone edit your work. Like, it, at, at this point, there's no wrong answer in design, but there's like a right way to edit. Mm -hmm. and, and don't think about it in that sort of like harsh way. It's basically, look at it as a communication art exercise. Like, that's what design essentially is. It's like, I have these ideas in my head. I put them in this inanimate object. Hopefully you get this long-winded speech. And what, what I've done is since I've, you know, I've made it my sort of practice, that whole long 90-page sort of uh, presentation was just, I just gleamed out of that, those seven bullet points. So you guys got the cheat code. But like this shoe is like so many details through that you can maybe get it. And that that's probably why our conversation with all you guys that I haven't met, but if you see the shoe, we're sort of like halfway talking. And then I listed off like six mentors, <laughs> you know? So in a nutshell, that's like literally my whole brain on display. Okay, last question. Yeah. Um, what would you describe your defining moment, like your aha moment as a designer? Um, yeah, it was the fact that there is no aha moment. That's the one that tripped me up the most. It's, I still, to this day, am reluctant to call myself a designer because I believe that designers didn't look like me, which is like a deeper, <laughs> that's like a bar. <laughs> you know, like, like rapper, you know, like Quavo comes up with him, he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, like, but that's, that was my biggest hurdle, and that's what I mean to tell, that's the only, like, that's the main message that I'm delivering 
is that most of these hurdles are self-imposed as designers. Like, they literally don't exist. There is no failure. Failure is, like, as real as, like, Halloween ghosts. <laughs> Do you know? And as a designer, I was always, like, I literally was, like, oh, I'm just going to work in an office. I'm going to work and be an assistant to, like, a bigger firm in architecture. And then on the weekends, I was going to DJ and be into Supreme shirts or something like that. And listen, go to like Travis Scott shows or something. You know, I was like, that's that's what life is, nine to five. And then I, the aha moment was like, wait, I can just put work out, and if it's good, it works. If it's bad, no one notices, and I can just get better at it. And then I could run into a friend or a brand and be like, hey, I got an idea, you know. And so that's that's like that's the reality. That's what I flew in peace out. The cool kids are out. <laughs> um, but that's the reality that, you know, I wanted to fly here. And it was really Awana's, like, I, our text message is really good. But she had the foresight. But I wanted to just come and just say those few things. And then hopefully you guys run with it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, hey, Virgil. Yeah. Um, so two quick questions. Um, well, actually, statement first. I have a shirt for you. Um, so, first question is is yes or no, quick. Uh, can you sign my shoes after this? Second question is... Um, <laughs> if you so want this, me to sign something, i got to leave in 10 minutes, so I'll I, do it. Right now? Okay, I'll walk up. I, I just gotta, I gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you got to throw it. You have to throw um, it from there, you're, you're and I have to catch it. You know if I don't catch it, I gotta all of these shoes. Right, I'll, I'll take five shoes. Hey, one of me. I'm gonna be a decent human being. I'm gonna be a decent human being and just leave mine right here. I got a, I got a marker for you. I got a marker right here. I got one. No, this is gonna keep going. Going. Is the mic still on? Somebody make a video of this because I'm just gonna use for.